Welcome to Collateral Damage. We are here to discuss some of the effects that the COVID-19 and the pandemic, the lockdowns are having on our youth and children. We're a group of very concerned parents and leaders and professionals. And we just want to talk to you about some of the things that are going on, some of the things that we've observed, and maybe give you some resources. So I'm so glad that you're joining in today. My name is Susie, and I'm part of Save Our Youth, which is uh, an initiative that is part of the Liberty Coalition Canada, which is something that got started just in 2021 uh, by some political leaders and some other leaders that are very concerned about the effects of the lockdown. And um, we have five different initiatives that are part of Liberty Coalition. One of them is and the Lockdown Caucus. And here we have some politicians that are passionate about speaking out against the things that they see going on. We have open small businesses, which obviously is for small businesses. We want to keep them open. We want to fight for them, advocate for them. We have the Church Must Gather, which is for churches. We want them to have the freedom to be able to gather and to minister and worship their um, God in their building as they are able to and without restrictions. We have Save Our Youth, which is something that I'm personally involved in. And we have Professionals Against Lockdowns, which consists of different medical professionals and other professionals that are concerned that want to have a voice and speak up for the things that they've seen going on. And like I said, I'm personally involved with Save Our Youth. I'm very happy to be joined with Liberty Coalition and with other like-minded people. And um, Save Our Youth is largely concerned about the restrictions and the impact it has on our youth. And so how I got started was just being asked to get a group of other moms together that were also concerned about the effects that these lockdowns and restrictions are having on youth, people that would be passionate, people that would be willing to uh, share on social media some of their concerns. And so we've put together numerous graphics and some videos that we encourage people to get on the website to share these videos, share these graphics. The graphics often very much consist of statistics, things that we have seen in our community, in our country, and the demise of mental health, particularly regarding our youth. And so we want to change the narrative. We see that our um, mainstream media is very much sharing one narrative, and that is to stay home, stay safe, uh, be afraid. Uh, and that is not helpful because we're only targeting one group of people. It's very single focused. Save Our Youth is designed to change that narrative. We're hoping to do that by getting lots of passionate people on board who are willing to speak up and also share their concerns about the impacts that these lockdowns are having on our youth in particular, the mental health. We've seen uh, an increase in eating disorders and anxiety and depression and suicide ideation. And uh, this should largely concern us uh, very deeply. And so we're just calling people to, to join this initiative, to be part of it, because I think when we have a large group of people, we can change the nar narrative, we can make a difference. So we're largely social media based. Uh, we're also joined today with Katie and she's with Free the Kids. So Katie, can you tell us a little bit about your initiative and how you got there? Um, so yes, thanks for having me. Um, so as Susie was saying, Free the Kids, it's a social media group uh, aimed at just bringing together parents, concerned citizens and children to uh, to share their stories, get their voices heard. Um, I find with 
over the past year, if, if you speak out against any of the things that are going on in terms of, of our children suffering, um, it's just not allowed. You're not allowed to speak out. You're, not, you're right away labeled um, all kinds of things. Um, and it's, it's really a shame because the children are suffering here and it's, it's, we have a year's worth of data showing that they're suffering in, in a variety of ways and it's only getting worse. Um, so the reason that I, I came up with this group was was to allow people to tell their story. And ever since it started, I've been receiving do- dozens of messages per week um, with people telling their, their story to me. And they've allowed me to share it anonymously. Um, so it's just it's helping to raise awareness. And it's also opened some more doors. Um, we're joined with Liberty Coalition Canada and the Save Breakers campaign as well. So. Um, it's been great to meet with other like-minded individuals and, and just pushing to uh, change the narrative, change the messaging that's being delivered to our children every day. Kristen, okay, you're next. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your passion for this and what you do and what's happened over the last year uh, in regards to your nursing profession? Yeah, um, so I'm Kristen Nagel. I've been a nurse for 14 years, primarily in the neonatal intensive care unit. So working with with babies. Um, I also went and spoke at City Hall back in the the fall, um, September 2020, about masks on children. And that ended up becoming a video that went viral and connecting me to a lot of parents that had the same concerns and putting me as like the lead um, rep in in London to gather plaintiffs for a legal case. So I've been quite involved with hearing parent stories with the children and just really trying to, to help them. Um, I have two young boys myself, and I just I see the harm that this narrative is is causing on our children and just what is happening to society of creating these a uh, society of like hypochondriacs, right? Like mm-hmm. it used to be considered an illness, but now it's applauded. And this is going to be our future generations that are going to be, you know, leading the country and moving forward. And we, we absolutely need to step in and, and save these kids for what is happening to them. Cause yeah, they're, they're our future moving forward. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, all right, Sarah, would you be able to tell us a little bit about, um, where you're at and what's gone on in your life over the last year and throughout the lockdowns and restrictions. Yeah. So I worked in a nursing home uh, for the greater part of my career, but also in the community with disabled kids. Um, And for me, I think I kind of lost a lot of trust in the medical industry when I, um, I got uh, diagnosed with fibromyalgia. It took them a very long time to diagnose me. I kind of had to do it all myself. And I, um, you know, they didn't really know what they were doing. So I had to like um, take care of it. I decided to like take care of it on my own since I had done my own research. And um, I found out that a lot of it came from trauma. And so I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. So um, I know what it's like to be a kid and be Mm -hmm. abused. And so anyways, I had to do a lot of inner work and reconnect with my inner child that hadn't had everything it needed um, as a kid, uh, which is what we're causing these children. You know, we'll have these problems later. So we have to take care of it now because, you know, it's harder to do it later. So that's what I'm doing now. Uh, But I had to do a lot of that. And by um, 
by doing that, I was able to completely transform my life. I got sober. I lost 60 pounds. Um, I hardly ever feel my fibromyalgia is like nothing what it used to be. And um, I've man I've very I'm much better at managing the trauma on a day to day basis with neuroplasticity and all that. So I'm very interested and passionate about mental health, and I'm also very worried about um, what's going on with the kids uh, these days. And also, I wanted to say so now I spoke up and I was fired from both of my jobs. So now we're um, I, me and Kristen uh, we're speaking up and we teamed up and we. Uh, founded Canadian Frontline Nurses, and we plan on uniting nurses across the country and empowering people and bringing the ethics back into um, the medical and healthcare. And also, we envision a future with more preventative care and um, natural healing, going to the actual root of the problem instead of putting a Band-Aid on it and, you know, treating the person as a whole. So um, that's where we're at. And that's not what we're seeing is happening. It's the complete opposite. So our mission is to change that. Awesome. I love that. I love how there's nurses gathering together. And I love how you talk about how bringing the ethics back, right? And that's what nurses are largely there for, right? And I think just different things I've heard, there's a lot of things that have changed in the nursing field and people that want to be ethical and actually care, uh, they're quite concerned. So thanks for joining us. Uh, Dr. Ann, actually, I'm going to ask Nancy first. Nancy's an educator. Could you tell us a little bit about what you've seen over the last year? And um, we know that schools are a hot topic these days. People are very, very concerned about what's happening in the schools. A lot of parents concerned. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience um, in the education system? Hi there. Currently, I'm teaching in the virtual school. I'm teaching online. And so I'm dealing with teenagers. I'm a mom of three grown kids. So, um, you know, they're grown, but I still call these kids I teach my kids. And um, I have a mask exemption, medical mask exemption. So that's why I'm not in the classroom. But quite honestly, I am happy that I'm not dealing with masked kids. But the flip side to that is I'm teaching online and the cameras are off and I still don't see these kids. So mm. it's difficult to make it personal. I try to make it as much of a community as possible. I try to get them to speak if they can online, um, do some mental health check-ins with them. I have three pets. I take them on all the time. They know all my pets just to kind of, you know, add a little personal touch to that. But one student has not left her house for a whole year. We had a snowstorm and I said, when's the last time you made a snow angel go out and play in the snow? And one student said he was worried about getting COVID. And then they were talking about the variants that they're hearing about on the news. Um, they have seven week quadmesters right now, which is really accelerated. It's fast for me and I know the material. So, you know, kids who need time for processing, kids who have other things going on at home, and a lot of them do, this is really a huge obstacle to, to their learning for the ones I'm dealing with there. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think that's it for kind of a start. Okay, yeah. good. Thank you. Dr. Ann, would you be able to tell us a little bit about uh, what you've seen, about your profession? I know you're a trauma specialist. 
Uh, so I'm sure you've got lots of insight into what's going on. But do you want to just tell us a little bit about your profession and what you've seen and the impacts you've seen considering all the lockdowns? Um, professionally, one of the things I, I'm just recently retired, um, so I haven't really kept abreast really of what's happening. But certainly um, for therapists still um, counseling, just doing counseling by Zoom. Um, I mean, yes, we've done that in the past, like uh, teleconferencing and stuff like that. But it is not the same as meeting with people. And, you know, um, I have six kids and 12 grandkids, so I have a huge investment in what's going on out there in many realms. And there is such a contagion of fear, like Nancy was talking about. We are creating uh, another mental health crisis. We've actually, we started creating a huge mental health crisis, and I have the data for this. Actually, when this SOGI, the uh, sex ed education was implemented um, in Canada and the mental health of children has gone way, uh, just skyrocketed. COVID is going to put it so far over the top because as Nancy said, children, here are children and teenagers who have been um, really um, watching uh, the news and listening. Their parents watch the news. The first thing I would say, turn off the six o'clock news because you hear the same thing and it is just simply spreading fear. And it's irrelevant because really they're talking about cases. Anyways, I'm not going into the medical side of it, but we will end up, um, as others have said, with the after effects of this paranoia and trauma on the children, historical trauma on children goes on for decades. This is not something that's gonna be resolved in a year or two because we're seeing infants born into this uh, COVID that like you said, the parents haven't taken their infants out. They haven't met grandparents. I have a young of uh, two young grandchildren that I do get to see, but they've never met uh, their um, great grandmother because of COVID and she's lost in this too. So it, the ramifications are horrendous on, on every age group. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Well, what we decided to do is invite uh, some of our audience to send in some questions for us. So I did receive some of those questions and I'm going to delegate them according to your uh, expertise. And so Nancy, I have one for you. Um, wondering if you could uh, respond to this one. So uh, what was sent to me is this. I'd like to know when these cohorts get shut down and sent home uh, from school because of a positive case, is anyone feeling unwell, unwell enough to want to or need to stay home from school? Are we sending dozens of students when no one actually feels sick? So do you know how to, res can you respond to that one, Nancy? I will do my best. Thank you. I have, some, I have some notes here just so I don't forget anything. Um, so I had mentioned, as I had mentioned, I'm teaching online, but I have seen emails and it talks about outbreaks and it doesn't state whether the person was symptomatic or not. Um, this is the very first question that I ask myself as well. We all know the validity of the PCR test. So my biggest concern right now is that the boards are encouraging asymptomatic testing of students and teachers, which will only drive the case numbers up. And people really need to be aware of that. 
So I emailed and I asked why this was happening. I emailed the TDSB and the health department. I did get a, re a reply back from the health department and they said this was a Ministry of Education initiative. So it could be, or they could be, it could be a case where they're blaming each other. This has never happened in any other cold or flu season when you think about it. I've worked for 14 years in education, 14 cold and flu seasons. Periodically, students are off, teachers are off. We don't feel well. Sometimes we come in with a tickle in our throat. Sometimes we have the sniffle. If we're really feeling awful, we'll take a few days off and we come back when we are ready. Nobody needs to test us to tell us when, when we're sick or when we can come back. And you know, it was nobody's fault if we got sick. And I always knew if I got sick, it was because I was run down, not because there was some bug out here. And I think we really have lost sight of that. And the other thing is, um, yeah, and so getting sick is part of living in a community, part of existing in a community. And quite frankly, that's how kids build up their immune system, is exposure, not to be covered up. And what people might not realize is in 2018-19, the flu season, 10 children in Canada died and there were none of these protocols in place. And I bet most of us didn't even know that that many children had died. No, we never hear about that, right? Yeah. When it's a regular cold or flu season. And, and yet now, like you said, there's the weight of feeling responsible if somebody else gets, gets ill, right? I, I can't even imagine the effects that that's going to have on our youth and our children, the fear that they have, like every time they have a sniffle or a sore throat, like you said, they could go and make somebody else sick who could actually die from that. What a, what a huge weight to bear that they really shouldn't. Um, so Dr. Ann, I have uh, a question for you as well. It also impacts education, but I think your professional experience will really be uh, helpful. So it's kind of a long statement, but there's a question in the middle of it or near the end that she specifically wants answered. So I'll just read her statement because I think it, it's um, great to hear her heart behind it. So this is what she wrote to me. She says, I was so excited to learn about this upcoming discussion and about Free the Kids. I have three children aged 11, 9, and six. While we have been doing our best to limit the negative effects of the lockdown and mandatory masking on our children, the pervasiveness of the measures has made it impossible to shield them fully. There is suffering and the government and public health officials who are supposed to care seem to have forgotten and forsaken them. That's a pretty heavy word. There are but I understand. I agree. There are so many issues to discuss and so many ways that our children are being harmed by the measures. However, I think I would like to ask with the school system in its COVID-19 incarnation. When I first heard about the measures they were placing on students, masking, staying in your six, six foot squares, no contact with classmates, scheduled bathroom breaks, regular testing for even the slightest cold symptom. My husband and I struggled to decide whether it would be best to send them to school or whether we should pull them from the system and homeschool. I mean, real homeschool, not online learning. After much struggle and consideration, we made the decision to homeschool. I run my own curriculum based off the province's curriculum because I knew that online learning was not a viable, healthy option for our children and family. 
Although they do learn enjoy learning from home, my children would love to go back to school at some point, and I am not sure how long I will be able to keep running the homeschool. My employer has graciously allowed me to work from home so I can teach in the morning and work in the afternoon, but I am not sure how long that will last. So here's the question. My question is this. What are the short-term and long-term negative side effects of placing my children in what I called COVID-19 prison school? I am concerned that it will be significantly damaging mentally to be in an environment where they're where they are stripped of their humanity and treated like nothing more than virus spreaders all day long. Bang on. The stress from trying to comply with all the COVID rules also cannot be healthy. Don't get me started on masking. And then she has dot, dot, dot. So the question, what are the short-term and long-term negative side effects of placing children in these schools? Uh, Do you have something to share with us, Dr. Ann? That's a huge question. There's just so many side effects, I believe. I mean, first of all, um, you know, when the lockdowns initially happened, it, it really, uh, it made some sense because we didn't know what we were facing. But when the schools then opened, reopened, and the children who are not carriers, they're not spreaders of this virus. In fact, it's been proven that children under 10 do not spread this to seniors or to anyone. They just don't. And so they absolutely should not be wearing a mask. I don't believe it's healthy for any child to wear a mask. I don't care if they're 10 or or 20. (laughs) Well, children are 20, right? Adult children. But um, I mean, our society has placed that upon us. So here we are like treating children like super spreaders. I really agree with that. What that's doing emotionally to children, what that says to them is that you aren't accepted if you have a cough. You know, if you... If there's anything different today about you, stay home. We don't want to see you. And, you know, children personalize all of those messages. Not only that, children, especially young children, don't get to see facial expressions. And facial expressions are absolutely important to emotional and um, psychological well-being. Children must be able to read facial expressions, what the teacher really is is saying because they watch more uh, than the words, they listen to more than the words coming out of the, the teacher's mouth. They watch whether that teacher's engaged with them. And I didn't know, Nancy, that there was no video on this um, learning. So you can't even see your students. I didn't realize that. I think this is absolutely re- repressive. It's repressive because the whole community that children are so used to is being eradicated. So they have families at home. And it depends a lot on what the parents do at home. So I I really encourage parents, get the masks off as soon as the kids are off the school property. Signal, this is not what we believe in. We do not believe that you are at risk for taking your mask off outdoors. We need to start as parents um, being proactive as much as we can in whatever way we can. And we need to keep our kids, um, I would say, connected to other children outside of the school whenever we can. The long-term effect, I did allude to this, is that um, we're traumatizing children, especially young children, especially young children, and we are traumatizing them with this contagion of fear. This is like a spirit of paranoia uh, coming upon our nation 
everyone is paranoid. And you know, when you're paranoid, people start doing very strange things. And you've seen it, you know, they avoid each other um, in every way, shape or form. They'd rather walk out in the middle of the street and cr- than pass you on the sidewalk. And children watch all of those things. So we need to protect them as much as we can. The long-term effects um, will go on for decades. If we as parents and grandparents don't do something to mitigate what the schools and what our, um, you know, our shopping places and everyone outside your door, get them outside, get them outside, get them to the parks. It was atrocious when they shut down parks. This is absolutely ridiculous. And as for um, the mayor of Mississauga and the health unit there uh, saying, or Brampton, I think it is, advising that you isolate children in their room if they test for positive, that is absolute child abuse. Solitary confinement has been condemned for prisoners. Why would we insist that children should be put in solitary confinement to spend the day by themselves? Seven-year-olds, give me a break. This is absolutely, um, it's... (laughs) I can't even begin to say how awful it is, but you get the picture for sure. And uh, we need to we need to free the kids. We need to take back our kids and save our youth. And whatever way, shape, or form that we can join together to do that on behalf of our children, we really need to work at it. Awesome. Very good. Thank you, um, Nancy. Here's another one for you. This uh, this is the question. She says, I live in Pickering, Ontario, and I'd like some information on how to proceed with getting my three children unmasked in school. I already filled out a mask exemption form and the principal declined my request. I understand this is just a policy and not a law, but what can I do now? I cannot afford a lawyer. Please give me suggestions on how to move forward with this. So I know you're not in the schools, but if you have any information, that'd be awesome. Or if anybody else on this panel has some advice for this mom, that would be helpful too. So Nancy, do you want to start? And then if anybody else has something to add, that'd be great. So I just, um, I just want to say, I've heard some really heartbreaking stories um, and parents really need to be advocates. There are some good parent groups and I think the parents are probably the best ones to answer this because they've, maybe tried things that have worked, other things that haven't. Um, I know on Stand for Thee, there's some resources. Okay. So I think it's, it's better as a parent question. Okay. Uh, Kristen or Katie, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely some, um, I know there's a, lots of legal action that is taking place, but unfortunately the legal system right now is gonna, does take um, a long time. Um, and, <laughs> Of course, my little guys come in. I'm going to pass that down to Katie for a second. Okay, no <laughs> problem. Katie, I know Katie has a lot of resources with Free free the Kids, and they've been sharing lots of stuff. So if you have something quick you can share, that'd be great. Yeah, so um, we have been slowly building up a, a good collection of exemption letters on Free the Kids' page. Um, so... If, if anyone wants a copy of them, they are listed. It's, it's in, the, in the page in the topics area. Um, so, I mean, in my own experience, I also was, was the question saying that she was denied? Yes, she, um, she specifically denied. says the principal declined my request. Yeah. Okay. So, so that also happened to me. Um, 
But I think the main message is just don't accept no. Like it, it, you just have to keep at it. Of course, they're going to say no. They're going to see how far they can push it. Um, but there are resources available. There's um, Stand for the. There's um, Action for Canada also has a letter, and they also have um, a, a link to how to file a human rights complaint. And I think it's really just just be firm and don't don't give up. So when it happened to me, I just I just went. About, I know there's a process you're supposed to follow. You're supposed to go to the, the principal first, wait for their you know their process to go through to the superintendent. But I just I just didn't accept no and I just went above. Um, and I, it took about a week and a half of just constant pushing back and, you know, respectfully. But I, I sent in a lot of data. I, I made sure I educated myself on our rights, our children's rights. And I contacted as many organizations as I could to get their help. Um, but there are letters all over the place that, that are already typed up that you can just go ahead and send. So just just don't accept no. No, that's my that's my advice for that. I don't know if Kristen wants to add anything. Yeah, I kind of caught the end there, and I heard the groups that you were uh, mentioning that they're the same groups. I was going to say. I think also it depends on on the child. I think we really have to, as strong parents as we are, we have to really ask um, where our child is at in all of the all of this, depending on the the age. Some are really strong and able to stand up for themselves. And, and and some are not. And I know for some, wearing the mask is easier to fit in than, than not. Because I know there is so much bullying going on in the school system and so much like targeting and signaling out with kids that are not wearing masks to the point I, I've heard stories of teachers putting the unmasked child in the back of the room and telling the class to stay away from them. Um, so they do become a target and they are signaled out and, and told that they are a threat. So I think we have to look as a parent of, of how old our child is and how they feel and what they're willing to take on, I think is very important because, you know, we're very strong and we're in this fight, but our children should not be pawns in this game. So what I've been telling parents is to build your community and find like-minded parents that this, we need to start getting our kids, this is my opinion, um, out of the school system. And we need to kind of create uh, resources for parents because a lot of parents work full time. They don't have these resources. They don't know how to teach their child at home. Um, but there are so many like-minded people out there that feel the same. And we need to start building our communities and supporting one, in, one another and building like learning pods or different groups. Um, every Thursday here in London, we do a forest school where the kids are outside every day. And there's like 30 to 40 that come out. Um, and we just started with six of us started with six of us that didn't want to follow these restrictions and slowly it grew, grew. And I think in our whole group, we have 60 people in the group that started with six. Um, so there's like-minded people out there and it's just finding your people and putting the word out and, and growing. So I think uh, we need to look at other options as well outside the school system. I'm glad you mentioned that. I think that's great. I certainly know a lot of um, parents that have decided to homeschool because of all this as well and they realize it's it's worth it maybe their employer allows them to be flexible with their uh, work or some of them have just decided to commit to doing that full-time because they are very concerned about their kids and as parents that's that's our priority right so and at the very least I think parents that are fighting for mask exemptions you want to do that for the most part 
for, for everybody. You want to fight for masks to be removed from the school system. Because like you guys were saying, if it's just your child, they're going to be put in a corner or they'll be bullied. And kids just usually don't have the, the strength or the desire to stand up for that. Like there's enough bullying going on uh, without, well, without this, right? So get like-minded people and either fight for everybody to get rid of masks or like uh, Kristen said, maybe there's an opportunity for homeschooling. I think that's great too. Okay, um, Kristen, I'm wondering, did you, were you able to find any stats on kids that have actually been hospitalized or uh, that have actually died of this virus in Canada? Because we heard, I can't remember who it was, somebody was saying that there was eight or 10 kids that died a few years ago because of the common flu. And we never heard about that. But what are the stats? I think it's a lot less than that in Canada for kids under age 19 that have actually been hospitalized or, or died. Do you have the stats on that, Kristen? Uh, I, they were a little bit tricky for me to, to find, but I did find that I think I saw it over 10, there was like 10,500 kids that tested positive. Um, and out of that, 1.4% were hospitalized. And there were um, under the age of 19, what I had found, there was zero deaths that were directly related to COVID. Um, yeah. So there, there's like none. And I think that's like, it's really important to really understand the wording that the media uses because there was no direct deaths to COVID. A lot of times in the media, you'll, you'll hear the word with, with COVID. That's not a direct relation. That could mean anything. It means they could have, you know, a broken leg from um, a car accident um, and they also tested positive. Um, you know, so we have to look at, at the, the wording being used as well. But there are no cases of children. Children are not threats. Children are, you know, this whole thing that we have to really get away from is this whole asymptomatic carrier. They have totally changed the definition of what asymptomatic means. When we were in, you know, as nurses and um, the word asymptomatic means, I'm just going to use a simple example of blood pressure. So say someone has low blood pressure but that's just normal for them. That's kind of myself. Um, you know, we would say, oh, okay, you're not lightheaded. You're, you know, you're not dizzy. You're not having any of these things. Okay. You have low blood pressure. You're asymptomatic. We're moving on. We're not investigating that. That's benign. But now all of a sudden they've turned the definition to what that means. Now they're saying anybody can be a walking threat. Anybody could be a carrier. This whole thing, symptoms or not, everyone's a threat. So that is a very huge blanket statement that they're passing on to children, to people, to, to everyone. And we have to really look at the language being used because they're twisting words and changing the definition from how we had used them previously to 2020. Um, so children are not threats, have never been threats. Children need each other. Children need to play in dirt and get dirty and build their immune systems and have connections and friendships and laughter and hugs and play and joyful things. And we're literally taking away everything that is the essence of childhood from these kids. We're removing everything that is joyful from, from these kids. Absolutely. Well, that's interesting that there's zero deaths directly related to this for children. And yet the statistics on mental health is absolutely like out of this world. Yeah, that's what I wanted to add with that. Four, there's been an increase of 4 million calls to the sick kids helpline of yeah. children. That's 4 million kids that sought to find that number to call 
who knows like what other kids are dealing with this that don't know to look for that number, but an increase in one year of 4 million have, have called that number. That's heartbreaking, right? That yeah. like zero risk and yet all these restrictions that are leading to that type of result, right? And so I know Dr. Ann has put together a PowerPoint with some statistics, some major concerns, things that she's seen as well. So Dr. Ann, would you mind sharing that with us now? And uh, just so grateful to you for your work on that, sharing that. That's the real concern, right? The virus is not the real concern for our children. And yet the mental health is is quite alarming. So go ahead, Dr. Ann. Um, first of all, our kids are not okay from these lockdowns. And what we're doing today is just information, but it's going to mean that each of you decide to do something about the information that you're presented with. So this is a large cross-sectional Canadian study that was published just in February of this year and examined the impact of COVID lockdowns on children and adolescents' mental health. So it's exactly what we're targeting today. And children and adolescents without with and without pre-existing psychiatric diagnoses tended to experience deterioration during the first wave. So this was only up to the first wave because these studies take a long time um, to get uh, prepared. So this is just the first wave. You have to just multiply this now for the second wave and to understand that it's it's this rollover effect mental with mental health. So depending on the age group, 67 to 70% of children experience deterioration in at least one mental health domain. They had deterioration in depression, irritability, attention, and hyperactivity, and it was highest for children on the autism spectrum disorder. Um, so these are children that have already been diagnosed. So you can imagine parents at home with a child that already has a mental health uh, problem, and that has increased now up to 67%. That's astronomical. Um, then deterioration uh, in anxiety and depression, uh, sorry, obsessions and compulsion. So OCD, those kind of things, was highest among children with pre-existing mental health diagnosis and uh, ASD, which is autism spectrum disorder. So they, if they had a comorbidity together, it was even higher. In comparison, in China, one province um, showed 37 to 43% of 12 to 18-year-old children reporting clinically significant rates of depression and anxiety. So China, who had um, the greatest um, amount, I would guess, uh, I would say, of uh, cases actually showed less um, of the actual end result with mental health. So... Children with pre-existing mental health and psychiatric diagnoses are really, really being impacted and they're not able to get services. The lockdowns have just shut down so many mental health centers. They're all, they're all locked down. Getting help for your child from a psychiatrist, you wait for months and so here are the stats, just a little bit of the depression and anxiety 
irritability, attention, and hyperactivity, those are increases, folks. That's not, not just, um, oh, 37% of these kids have depression. No, these are increases in their already uh, existing depression states. So very disturbing with all of this. Um, perhaps the most disturbing, though, was the significant portion of children and adolescents that had no pre-COVID mental health problems or neurodevelopmental problems. They didn't have those challenges, and they are now experiencing deterioration on a number of mental health domains. So with 37 to 41% of these children, so non, um, no mental health issues previously, up to 41% now experiencing depression, anxiety, irritability, and attention dis, uh, disorders during these uh, emergency measures lockdown. So parents are just going absolutely um, bonkers because here their children are experiencing all of these uh, symptoms, but parents are also. And the more, um, or I would say the less parents are able to cope in their own uh, world, the less they're able to help their child. And so parents who are trying so hard to homeschool their children, um, parents who are working at their job and trying to homeschool, parents are just overwhelmed. And it's really, really having an effect on the children. Social, social isolation and loneliness increase the risk of depression and anxiety. That is just a known factor. And that's why we, uh, as therapists, try to make sure those who... Um, individuals who have social phobias and social anxieties, that we help them to integrate into small groups and integrate into going out and challenging them to go into places maybe they haven't been before with a trusted friend. But here we're having a whole new generation who are going to suffer from social phobias and children, babies who have never seen anyone other than their mom and dad. And they're shocked when they see another face because for six months they've only seen mom and dad and they are literally, I've seen this happen, just absolutely weep because they're so frightened of this other face they've never seen. This is abuse. It is absolute abuse. Uh, one psychiatrist um, that I was recently aware of has stated that his um, client suicide rates have increased five times what they were pre-COVID. That's just one psychiatrist. Suicide is going to go out of the roof, over the roof with children, but also with adolescents and with adults uh, coming into what's going to look like an economic um, downturn. So we know that, um, that there's just other things happening. Our Canadian rates are higher than most other countries in the world from the lockdowns because we've had repeated lockdowns. So the greater stress from social isolation that I mentioned, children not being able to go to important events like graduations, you know, not being able to go on to university because they didn't get their grade 12. They have to go back and redo some courses from the last year. They've lost all kinds of social interactions. And then I talked a little bit about the solitary confinement um, that was implemented in one of our cities in Ontario um, because a child tested positive and they, the mental, uh, the health clinic and health unit um, told the parents that they needed to isolate this child in their own room um, for 14 days. And the child was seven. This is 
unbelievable, unbelievable what mental health and medical professionals are telling people to do. And what's really unbelievable, though, is the parents that would willingly do it. We need to educate the parents and say this is worse than any virus will ever be on your child. So this it underscores the importance of school, community, recreation, and all of the milestone events for children that are being missed. So we, we really need to work on all this. I want to keep going quickly, but you need to understand that Sick Kids Hospital, right from the get-go, um, has um, really suggested that schools do not lock down. There's no need to lock, lock down the schools. And um, what they're also saying, though, is that there's a traumatic increase in eating disorders, especially uh, in young people. And they're they're really seeing some pretty, pretty um, intense situations. And it's anxiety that's fueled by all of the contagion of fear that's out there. Um, so it's not that they're just afraid of getting COVID, but they're afraid, of course, of um, giving that disease to someone else that they love. So we need to temper our own fears as parents and educators, we need to minimize our own fears if we have them. And we need to really encourage our children to go out. This is just a, and you can use this afterwards. So just some things, other stats that are happening that you may not be aware of, but we need to really um, make sure that our children are well cared for. Um, on just some good news at the end, so children, as we've talked about before, have little or no transmission rates. But the bad news is that, especially for children under five, um, masking and seeing other people mask is tremendously uh, traumatizing. And we really need to um, get past the masking and petition our government to stop this. So there you go. Thank you for listening to all of that. And you can access that PowerPoint. Uh, yeah, very good information. Thank you for that. One of the we didn't even mention there yet the abuse that some of the children have experienced because their parents aren't coping with this, right? Yeah. There's uh, information out there as well, and that's super alarming. And one of the things I noticed on your PowerPoint was that mothers have increased their their screen time by 74%. That should concern us. Now, I think some of that's probably because we're being activists on social media trying to change the narrative. But, you know, I, I know I'm speaking to myself as well, but we want to make sure that in our passion to change the narrative and make a difference, we're still spending time with our kids. And I know I was blessed the first time I called Katie and she said, can I call you back? I'm at the park with my kids. And I thought that was awesome because the reality is, yeah, what we're doing is important, trying to change the narrative and the um, all the restrictions and lockdowns, we're fighting against that. But if we're too busy doing that and not spending time with our kids, that's a problem too, right? So hats off to Katie. She's she's being a great mom while she's doing all this too. So uh, unfortunately, I think we have to close up now. I think we could continue chatting because we're very like-minded, very passionate about this. But uh, we've been uh, chatting for quite some time, I think about 45 minutes. So we're going to close up now. But if any... Uh, anybody's listening and they have further questions, feel free to contact Free the Kids. There's a, a Facebook page, maybe Instagram as well. You can also contact Save Our Youth. We have a Facebook and Instagram page and Liberty Coalition as well. We have a, web, a website. So uh, free, feel, feel free to check us out and ask your questions. And we'd love to stay in contact and continue to encourage you. 
Can I just add one thing? Yeah, absolutely. So for uh, fellow educators, you can find us on uh, Educators for Human Rights. And there was one question I wanted to add for people to think of when um, I had another question that was going to be answering. And I want people to think of this. Which other generation has been burdened with the task of protecting the grown-ups? Which other generation? Good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's not something our kids should be worrying about. So thank you for mentioning that. All right. Does anybody else have any last minute comments before we close up? I know some, uh, some of you need to get going, but any other last minute comments? All right. Well, thanks for joining in. I hope this has been beneficial to everyone that's listening. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, thanks for arranging this.